Hello, it's me again, Angela Daly, the host of the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. Welcome to our fifth episode of the podcast. Thanks very much to our regular subscribers for all of their support and comments and a warm welcome to our new listeners as well. If this is your first time, you can check out previous episodes of the podcast where we've spoken to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalization. We've gained insights into recent developments in different parts of the world, from Southeast Europe to Brazil to the Middle East. Regular listeners will know that the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, is one of our favourite topics. We're interested in how it has influenced data protection worldwide, how data protection is handled in Europe and in other parts of the world, how can we establish international standards, and what will happen next. Today, we're very pleased to be travelling to Africa with our May guest, Ridwan Holoyede. Ridwan is co-founder of Tech Hive Advisory, a Nigeria-based startup helping businesses to achieve operational excellence through the legitimate, reliable and efficient application of technology. In Tech Hive Advisory, he leads a privacy data protection, tech policy and research team. Ridwan was also recognised as one of the top 50 individuals leading in legal innovation in Africa by the Africa Legal Innovation Award in 2020. Hi and welcome, Ridwan. Thanks very much for joining us. Hi, Angela. It's nice to be here with you. Thank you very much. So our regular listeners will know that we like to start and end our episodes with some quickfire questions to introduce you and your views on data protection. I will start a sentence and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Data protection is my favourite topic because... It prevents me from digital harm. The first time I realised the importance of data protection was... Uh, When I kept getting unsolicited text messages. And data protection is a typically Nigerian thing because... It's not a Nigerian thing yet. (laughs) Maybe soon. (laughs) Okay, so thanks very much. Um, Let's move to our longer questions and the main part of the podcast. So, Ridwan, can you tell us firstly a little bit more about your work in this area, please? As you've rightly introduced, um, I'm the co-founder of Tech Advisory, where I lead, currently lead the privacy, data protection and tech um, policy team. So um, part of what we do here at TechHive is to support organizations with their implementation and operationalization of data protection program. Um, that's straddles between drafting policies, training them, helping them implement some of these policies. Also, we also advise around I will provide business advisory um, between what they try and do and the intersection with data protection and also product developments. So these are some of the things we do. But beyond that also, we do incredible level of um, policy mapping and tracking across the continent because um, our business has to spread across the continent. Then of course, we also do a lot of research. So um, that's putting it um, in a very brief way. Well, sounds like you're very busy. Talking of um, data protection, law, policy, activities across the continent, can you give us an overview of data protection governance in Africa, please? Um, um, recently, we also had a conversation on the two decades of data protection in Africa, um, the lessons and the way forward. So, I mean, the first time we had a data protection law in Africa was in 2001, when Cape Verde decided to enact um, a law. And from that first decade, um, 2001 till now, you've had increasing level of African countries who have actually adopted um, a data protection law. Of the 55 African countries, currently we have about 32 who have some sort of data protection law. Um, in between that, we have few African countries who have enacted um, data protection into their constitution. But looking at speaking to the governance structure, basically, 
Um, we speak about some countries who have a data protection law and who have also gone ahead to actually set up the um, data protection authority. There are about 19 of them who have done that. Then we also have countries who have a data protection law, but who are yet to set up their data protection authority. Then we have the ones who don't have any semblance of data protection legislation at all in existence. And at best, what you'd see is maybe pocket of laws and sector laws and stuff like that. But essentially, that's um, the brief overview of what the governance structure currently looks like. But beyond um, national um, legislative agenda or national legislative uh, move, we've also seen some sort of couple of regional instruments springing up in different parts of Africa. Um, like the East African countries have a cyber law uh, document that was published in 2008. Um, ECOWAS did the same thing in 2010. SADC has a similar document that addresses data protection. And um, we're beginning to see this. Then, of course, at the center, the African Union in 2014 also um, released the African Union um, Convention on Cybersecurity and Protection of Personal Data. So that's what we're increasingly um, seeing um, currently across the continent. Thanks. And um, that was really interesting to hear um, an overview of what's happening. What do you think about the governance situation overall at the moment? Yeah, um, what I would say about the governance structure is um, I think we're making some wins. We're making... We're making progress uh, because it would be unfair to. I mean, I see. I see a lot of parallels. I see a lot of comparisons with what is happening in the European Union, and what often gets missing in that conversation is the fact that the EU has had data protection much longer than Africa has. So we're seeing a credible level of progress across the continent. Like I said, um, about 32 countries have some sort of, I mean, data protection laws. Um, then we have about 19 of them who have decided to also establish um, a data protection authority, which means um, data protection has been enforced in such countries. I mean, to what extent is a different conversation? So um, if you look at what we've seen in the past two decades, uh, we've grown from not having any law in place at all to gradually adopting laws across different parts of the continent. Then, of course, going ahead to set up data protection authorities. And we're seeing quite a number of things happening across the continent currently. In Kenya, uh, the Office of Data Protection Commission uh, was set up just recently, and they've been doing an incredible level of work, pushing out guidelines, pushing out regulations. Um, Uganda is doing the same thing too. South Africa, um, Popia, the um, data protection law is fully, I mean, coming into force fully um, in July. And the information regulator has been doing an incredible level of work to trying to educate and sensitize people around their rights and, of course, the obligations on um, organizations too. So for me, I mean, there are so many lessons. There are so many things that need to be done, of course. But uh, sizably, I mean, look at what's happening in Mauritius, for example, what the CDP is doing in Senegal. Uh, we're seeing data protection authorities in Africa pushing out guidelines, pushing out some sort of instruments, pushing out tips, templates, and stuff like that, all trying to build up the ecosystem, trying to sort of make sure that some something's in place. So, I mean, it's, it's different from what it was two decades or three decades ago. So, but of course, there's still a lot that needs to be done. I mean, that's not um, saying there are no problems at all. There are problems, but of course, we've made um, a sizable progress and there's still so much more that can be done. Yeah. That's really great to hear. As regular listeners of this podcast will know, uh, we've taken a very strong interest in the implementation of the GDPR in the EU and its impact globally. What do you think about the GDPR and what has its influence been in the African continent? Yeah, I mean, um, the GDPR is um, it's, 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 it's an incredible legislative instrument. And not just because of uh, the beauty, the elegance or uh, the lobbying before it came into force. But it's more around the fact that 
it's having such big influence across the world, such that um, even in countries who are maybe politically not even aligned with EU values, we're already seeing them trying to enact data protection law that sort of have some semblance with what's happening in Europe. And that's been like in the front burner of the conversation across the world, the way it's shaping conversation. I mean, when you speak about so many aspects or components of emerging technologies these days, that's a way previously data protection always creeps in or find itself into the conversation. Speaking about what influence we've seen in Africa, in 2017, for example, Mauritius amended its, its law to reflect more of the content of the GDPR. And pretty much every legislation that come, that's come afterwards have also sort of take that tonal GDPR inflection in terms of the principles, the lawful basis, um, some of the obligations on controllers and processors. I'm seeing pretty much that influence across um, the continent. And to put that in perspective, we've seen that in Kenyan law, uh, we've seen that likely also reflected in the Nigerian law, for example. And pretty much after all, we've had Togo in own law, we've had Egypt in own law in 2020. So that's sort of some of the influence we've seen across the continent. But of course, um, there's a bigger conversation beyond even the content of the law. It's about how there's also the nudge on the path of citizens who are now asking questions. Because now people are gradually becoming more aware about the rights, about the dangers that, um, that exist in the digital space. Are they asking questions? Whether they are asking those questions in the right context or whether they are asking the right people is a different conversation. But people are gradually asking questions and people are gradually becoming aware. People are becoming aware of how public authorities use their data. They are becoming concerned about uh, what rights, what safeguards, um, what protections can avail them. But beyond that, too, um, there's also the African Continental Free Trade Agreement on the side and which a critical component of the trade agreement is also the digital economy spin. And there's no way you can, I mean, speak to the digital economy aspect of a trade agreement if you're not looking at data protection. I mean, first is going to be the what happens to personal data when they move across borders. So we're beginning to see these conversations get, get into the mainstream. It's moving from the passenger seat to the driver's seat gradually. And I feel um, in years to come, we're going to have a more awakened citizens who are actually quite conversant about the rights that, um, that is available to them. We're also going to see citizens who demand more action from supervisory authorities because to be candid, the laws are not being enforced evenly everywhere. So there's so much that needs to be done. And for the data protection authorities, there are so many things limiting them. And um, I guess we're going to get to that pretty much later as well. Yeah, definitely. A lot more that we can talk about there. Um, you've talked a little bit or hinted at least at some of the factors that have been driving the uptake of data protection laws within um, Africa. So GDPR to some extent, other trade agreements as well, possibly also the need um, to ensure that the tech industry is regulated. But do you see any differences in the approach to data protection among different African countries and jurisdictions? Or do you think there is quite a unified approach to implementing data protection legislation? So uh, to, to answer that question is uh, to see it some way. We've had some countries who've had data protection way longer than some other African countries. Countries like Tunisia, countries like Morocco, Senegal, who have had the data protection authority for almost a decade. So we've seen the data protection authority in Cape Verde came pretty much later after the law was enacted as well. So what that suggests to us is some of these data protection authorities are actually more experienced than others. But has that translated into efficiency? Has that translated into effectiveness? That's a different question. Um, because you look at um, authorities like 
the, the authorities in Ghana and so many African countries. One of the things that is actually holding them down, aside human resource, financial resource, and all of that is also the fact that many of them lack independence. And independence of a data protection authority is one critical component. I mean, when we look to the modernized convention, for example, or even the hold, um, before we had the convention 108 plus, one of the key ingredients of setting up a data protection authority is going to be independence. So in many of these places, you see in Nigeria, for example, what the law says is the data protection office has to be set up in the office of the, uh, is it the prime minister or the president? So you see, see um, the executive having overbearing influence on the activities of the data protection authority, which simply means for many of them, they really can't do anything when it comes to public authorities. And that's something we've seen in so many countries. They really can't bite. I mean, they just back at best. And that's the closest they get to do. So that's still something that is hampering um, the effectiveness of, of this. But of course, we also have a situation where whether it's they're terrified of going after the big companies or whether they are more concerned about the fact that uh, maybe they don't even have the resources to go as far as the road stretch. So we're seeing a lot. And it's not, it's not, unique. It's not a problem unique to Africa alone. Even in, in the EU, it's a problem we're seeing as well. The Irish Data Protection Commission gets dragged a lot for not doing as much as it should do. And I mean, it gets bashing from even other data protection authorities that we've seen in some states in Germany and even some other data protection regulators in Europe as well. But I'm trying to tell them essentially that you need to do your job. We can't do your job for you because, of course, you even the lead supervisory authority in many of these cases. So it's, it's still a problem. and It's not a problem unique to Africa. But like I said, there's so much that needs to be done. I was speaking about having to maybe even review some of these laws. Um, I meant some of these laws to grant more autonomy, more independence to these authorities to be able to do much more than they are currently doing. Yeah, definitely. And certainly issues around kind of enforcement and implementation have been a feature in some of our other podcast interviews as well. So you're absolutely right. It's certainly um, not limited to African jurisdictions, but an issue more globally, actually. But you've spoken a bit about some of the challenges. Are there any examples of best practice in terms of enforcement, independence, implementation of data protection laws in your region? So we've seen, um, we've seen authorities like Mauritius, who at the end of every year publish their annual reports. Part of what they do is also make public records of complaints they receive and the ones they resolve. It's publicly available on their website. Then you see the CDP, which is the Data Protection Authority in Senegal. Quarterly, they publish their report as well. And it always also includes the breakdown of the complaints they receive, the number of the complaints they're able to resolve, the number of authorization they are granting and stuff like that. Uh, more recently, Nigeria Data Protection Authority also last year released, it, it released an annual performance report, which also chronicled what it has done within the year. In Benin, we saw the same thing. And um, Saotome and Principe too, we saw exactly the same thing happening in that part of the world. So what I can say is, um, in terms of being transparent about the state of the activities or state of the affairs, uh, some of them have done incredible level of work, being transparent enough to tell you, okay, we get this certain number of complaints. These are the ones we are able to resolve. And when we resolve them, these are the sanctions we issued. Uh, what we also need to know is that when we look at the example of the ICO that probably has the highest number of staff when it comes to data protection authorities globally, um, many of these data protection authorities are understaffed. And doing a data protection violation investigation takes a lot of time, takes a lot of resources, technical, um, legal resources, and all of that. And many of these authorities are actually, I mean, they don't have the capability to do this, to resolve this as fast as people might want. So I guess that's also some of the things injured. So for me, those are like 
copious examples of um, best practices that we've seen. And, and I'll give you, this year alone, we've already seen the Uganda Authority actually um, issued some sort of direction to um, a logistic, not just a logistic company, Uber, but for bikes this time around. So against one of them who was actually unlawfully sharing data with um, a third party. In Nigeria also, um, the Data Protection Authority has actually sanctioned sanctioned the company also for violating the law for um, having poor security practices. So, I mean, we get a tit bit here and there, but like I said, I think it's going to be a different journey if we look towards the next decade. But currently, as we have it, the assemblance of authorities doing incredible level of work based on also their local context. Um, in Tunisia, in Morocco, the city's authorities are also releasing guidance on even complex issues. Uh, like Senegalese authorities, for example, last year released um, a guidance on things like geo-tracking of, of vehicles. Um, Morocco last year did something on data protection impact assessment, video surveillance. So we're getting into those even biometric capturing and stuff like that. So we're getting into those complex conversations too. And we have our authorities also doing something around those complex conversations. So uh, for me, I think um, that's progress. Um, whether Whatever metric we are using to look at it, I mean, we can't agree on a simple metric to look at it because we literally be comparing ourselves with uh, maybe some other things we shouldn't be comparing ourselves with. But for me, I think those are like wins I can like think of right now. And I think we can actually do much more than that. Great. Yeah. And it seems like um, there's an upward trajectory as well in terms of activity, enforcement activity and so on. I would like to turn now, though, to the role of the private sector. And you've spoken a bit already about data protection laws being enforced against companies in different African jurisdictions. Uh, But has the private sector been playing a proactive or positive role in terms of working with regulators and policymakers to uphold data protection? laws? Uh, Has there been much in the way of public-private dialogue on data protection in the African region? So we're seeing an uptick, and I'm not trying to sound too optimistic. So we're seeing an uptick. We're seeing private sector regulator having like engagement. And that's also helping to drive the conversation, especially in terms of raising awareness with um, the public. But outside that as well, we're seeing instances of violation perpetrated by both private organizations and public organizations that has gone unpunished. Uh, there are like, I mean, quite a number of examples I can easily point to. So what, what I would say is um, there's still a need for more engagement. I'm not a big fan of using sanction to drive enforcement. Rather, we should be able to connect a business case to why private entities should actually start thinking about data protection. Compliance shouldn't be like the primary driver of, of conversation because there is risk there is danger, there is potential danger, like real danger, not just potential danger. There's actually real danger to some of these things happening across the, I mean, happening across um, the continent. So we need, we need a situation where private organization needs to know it's more than just, it's more than just trying to comply with tick boxes. But rather, if you're able to do it right, it could also be a business differentiator. It could be like some sort of thing that gives you that global competitive advantage, especially if you're a multinational that is looking to scale across different parts of the world or different parts of the continent. But also because it also helps your business. I mean, there is that ethical satisfaction that comes with being able to do what is right. So beyond that, but giving an appraisal or looking at that, giving, doing an assessment of what's happening locally or what's happening currently, I think there's still so much that needs to be done. Um, there's still a disconnect between what business wants to do. Businesses who don't even understand their obligations under the law and who actually see this as a cost. And between the work the Data Protection Authority is doing to 
for those who have a data protection authority because we see a vast number of countries who don't even have laws. We have the ones who have laws who don't have a data protection authority to enforce the laws. So, and when you see it in such contexts, in such countries, these companies literally just get away with things, whether you're a big tech, whether you're, and whether you're small tech or you're a small company. And, you know, there's always the obsession with the big techs. An equally dangerous, sizable, I mean, an equally dangerous level of violation could actually be done by a small company. Clearview is a good example of how people can do things on that radar until when the New York Times article came into the public glare. So, and some of these things are happening too. You see a lot of data brokers here. You see people doing things in the health space, healthcare space. You see people doing things around that. I mean, ad, 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 ad tech is also a thing here in Africa. Their business models build around these things. And we're not looking at um, how some of these things really impact, on, uh, really impact people. There are people who are already deploying complex technologies like facial recognition for private use, for private commercial use already. We're not looking at how do we impose liabilities on some of these poor decision-making, what's the quality of data set. So there's still a whole lot of conversation that we still need to have. But like I said, there's a misalignment, there's a disconnect between the direction private companies are going, especially for those who don't even understand their obligations under the law and what the regulation is trying to do or what the regulator is trying to do. So we need to have more conversation where we have more meeting points than more divergent points. Definitely. And again, I think a theme which is quite common worldwide, actually, um, that we need more kind of dialogue on this uh, topic. I'd like to turn to another important stakeholder group that you also did mention before, which is civil society and citizens. Uh, is civil society, are citizens in your region engaged in debates and also litigation on data protection issues? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, civil society, advocacy groups are doing an incredible level of work on the continent. Uh, maybe we need more of them as well so that we can actually drive on the conversation. But we're also seeing some sort of, I mean, the uptick in litigation in, in, in Nigeria, for example, that is built on data protection strictly. I'm not even speaking to privacy broadly, but speaking specifically to data protection. True Caller, for example, has been sued in Nigeria. Um, Zoom at some point has been sued in Nigeria for privacy violation and stuff like that. A couple of commercial banks as well. In South Africa, we've seen landmark judgments uh, that impacts data protection. We've seen the same thing in Kenya with the digital identity program. So we're seeing different things happening. In, in Uganda, the sanction that was issued by the Data Protection Authority was actually a research, was driven by a research that was published by um, a civil society group, Unwanted Witness, which eventually led to the Data Protection Authority investigating um, the company and, of course, issuing a sanction afterwards or issuing a direction afterwards. Then in Nigeria, I mean, digital lending is one of the biggest uh, problems in Nigeria and Kenya. Um, we've seen um, CPIT, which is like a research hub in, in Kenya, do research around digital lending in Kenya, and that's driving the conversation. Um, in Nigeria, we've actually done the same thing, take advice in collaboration with Ikigai Innovation, um, Niger Second, and um, Rich Compass. We did exactly the same thing. I'm looking at the business model of these digital lenders and how they actually impact. But beyond that, we're also driving the conversation by also trying to engage regulators on what this means and why they need to do something. So in terms of uh, what, we do, what civil society groups are doing, I mean, they're doing quite a number of work, but there is more that needs to be done. We might also be looking at the situation where we are having specific civil society groups. So for example, I mean, quite a number of civil society groups just, I mean, they look at issues broadly. Uh, Pridam Initiative, there are quite a number of them. Policy in Uganda, quite a number of them. So, but issues are being looked at broadly. Now we need to look at things like how it affects maybe females specifically, 
We need to look at issues around digital identity, specifically in pockets. We need to look at maybe when we have more, I mean, civil society type specific issue, we can also get some sort of uptake. But beyond that, too, we're seeing civil society collaborate with other organizations outside of Africa, like Privacy International, Amnesty International, Omidia is doing incredible level of work um, supporting so many African organizations. I mean, lawyers up in Kenya, for example, to help them do their job and to help them at least get close to the objective. And um, because of that, we're seeing more policy engagement with even the policymakers. Um, the lawyers up in Kenya, for example, is doing an incredible level of work working with the Kenyan parliament, especially when they had to resolve the issue of the digital identity stuff. I mean, I knew they made a presentation before the parliament. So, I mean, it's, it's slow. Uh, it's slow, but we're seeing a lot, and they're driving the conversation. But again, we need more of them. We need more of even asking bigger questions. I mean, there's so many things that still get done that get swept under the cover, but we still need people to ask bigger questions. We need civil society doing specific issues. So, I mean, you don't lose focus easily, and you have domain-specific knowledge in attacking or addressing those issues as well. Great. So, to finish up, what do you think is going to be the future of data protection, data governance activities in Africa over the next few years? How important do you think these developments are going to be and what impact do you think they will have internationally? I always say this, and that's because it's, it's what I think it's um, what happens. The risk that exists in the digital ecosystem is decentralized. And it doesn't really consider the quality of law that you have or whether you have a law in place in your country, or whether the law has been enforced. Um, the same risk that confronts using an IoT-enabled device in Europe is the same that confronts myself using it um, in the remote part of the remote parts of Africa. So the risk is decentralized, they are the same. So, but the question is, when the risk happens, when we suffer the loss, can we get redressed? Um, 10 years from now, we're going to see more African countries adopting data protection laws. So many African countries currently have data protection laws at um, views or at different legislative stages. In Cameroon, stakeholders are trying to draft a copy, they're trying to have a draft law. Rwanda, just a few days ago, um, released its draft data protection law. Zimbabwe has a draft law. Tanzania, um, Nigeria also has a draft bill. So we're going to see more African countries um, having their own data protection law. We're going to see more African countries setting up their own data protection authorities. Um, like we're seeing, I think Botswana is trying to do the same before the year wraps up. We're going to see optical of laws, optical of regulators coming up. And more around that is also the fact that we're going to see some sort of alignment or some sort of alignment. So already we already have um, a body that represents all the data protection authorities in Africa that gives them the platform where they integrate, they collaborate, and they do all sorts. So we also want to, I mean, I also envisage a situation where that body wouldn't just be like a meeting of data protection authorities, but rather having stronger collaboration. I mean, using the international cooperation mechanism available under different laws, exploring it and seeing how they can actually work together to have some sort of consistent enforcement uh, mechanism. But beyond that, the African Union is also driving some sort of an harmonization initiative uh, with uh, an initiative they call PRIDA. So um, data protection authorities are engaging on different levels to see how uh, we can actually have some sort of an harmonized framework for the continent. To wrap it up, I think in I mean, a decade to come, we're going to see an uptick in so many aspects of that. And also looking at the work that has been done in Kenya, in South Africa, in Nigeria, and a couple of other African countries where the regulators are actually driving sensitization process or awareness process. We also see an active citizenry who also start asking questions, demanding more accountability, demanding more transparency, and who would be more keen around how their data is actually being protected. And when they look at privacy notices, 
they're looking at it beyond are you genuinely telling me what you're doing or you just picked up a template somewhere and just make it available to me so that's the future i envisage um, again i don't want to sound so optimistic there are problems in between the lines which we've tried to highlight but of course i think um, there are problems that can be addressed and also we have a unique we stand a unique we stand in a unique position to actually learn from uh, the mistakes and how it has failed in different parts of the world and we can use that in designing our own roadmap to not perfect because there's really no perfect framework anywhere but something close to doing that's more rights preserving for people uh, broadly and also do more good to to the general public or the general population so thanks very much uh Ridwan. now to finish we've got three more quick questions so like before i will start the sentence and you can finish it data protection is so big in nigeria because uh, we're still at the nascent stage Data protection still needs to get better at? Uh, ensuring people become more aware about their rights. And of course, regulators can do their job and organizations become more responsible. And finally, the rule of law rules because? It's important to do the right thing, legally. Thanks so much, Ridwan, for joining us and sharing with us your insights on data protection in Africa. Thank you very much for, for having me as well. It's been such an interesting conversation. This was the fifth edition of the Rule of Law Rules podcast with me, Angela Daly, and our guest, Ridwan Oloyede. In the show notes, you can find out more about Ridwan, links to TechHive Advisory, and more information about the Conrad Adenauer Foundation and its Rule of Law program, which this podcast is part of. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, where we will release new Rule of Law Rules podcasts at the end of every month. If you liked this episode, then please give us a good rating and tell your data law geek friends about us too. I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. See you next time. Mm-hmm.